0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the Family Perspectives podcast. This podcast is created by students and faculty in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. We believe that relationships are central to living fulfilling lives, and like any skill or expertise, relationship intelligence can and should be improved and developed. In this podcast, we'll turn to the experts for knowledge and tips to help you improve your relationship IQ. I'm Misha. And I'm Lindsay. And we're your hosts on today's episode about smart principles for parenting. Today on the podcast, we will be diving into principles for smart parenting, and we're excited to have Dr. Larry Nelson here with us. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Dr. Nelson has been teaching for over 20 years here at BYU. He studies factors related to children's social development, such as parenting, culture, and self-perceptions, as well as factors that lead to flourishing or floundering in the transition to adulthood. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Nelson.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: We think this podcast will be valuable not only for students and alumni who are parents themselves, but also for students trying to navigate their own adult relationships with their parents. To start off, can you give us a little bit of background into some of the ways that parenting has changed in our modern age and what parents are having to do to adapt now?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a single thing that has changed more than the need to parent um, into the 20s. It used to be that children turned 18 and kind of on their own and adults, and that has changed. And probably the two biggest reasons for that are the average age of marriage has increased. So we're now up to the average age of marriage for men in the United States is about 30 and 28 for women. The other thing that's changed is the need for more schooling to get a a career. No longer can a high school diploma do the trick. And so this longer period of singleness has translated into a period of development we call emerging adulthood. Emerging adulthood is very, very different than anything we've seen before. It is now viewed as this time, young adults, uh, if we ask young adults or emerging adults, as I'll refer to them, do you feel like you're an adult? They'll say no. They'll say in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, but they don't fully feel like adults yet. Along with that, they just view this time period as a time to have fun and, and put off adult roles and explore their lives. One of the challenges, though, is that brain development is not yet uh, complete. Uh, we used to think that the end of adolescence is when brain the brain was done developing. We now know it's not developed until the mid-20s. So what does that have to do with parenting? Why is that so important to understand? Prior to age 18, there is a lot of structure provided for children and teenagers. There's hardly a moment of the day that an adult does not have responsibility for, or at least know where a child is, whether that's a parent, a teacher, a coach, an employer. And that structure is needed because we provide structure to children and teens to protect them until they have the social, cognitive, emotional, and moral skills to make decisions for themselves. So structure is important until they develop those uh, capacities. Well, they turn 18, graduate from high school, and all of a sudden we give them complete independence in decision making. We give them autonomy to choose what to do, when to do it, and with whom to do it. There's very little structure anymore. And yet we give that complete structure to an underdeveloped brain. It's why we see emerging adulthood as the peak period for reckless behaviors, driving while drunk, driving without a seatbelt, texting while driving. We um, see it for the peak period of experimentation with drug and alcohol and risky sexual behaviors. We see the results of poor decision-making in that Forty percent of all emerging adults in this country have been arrested by the age of 25. So we see accidents and um, death by suicide as the leading causes of death in this age group. There's just a lot of instability, uncertainty. And this all relates to parenting because parents can provide structure. That otherwise isn't there. And I talk to many adults. In fact, there are probably some listening adults who will say, Well, I grew up and my brain wasn't fully developed then, but I did just fine. And I always have to remind them, Yes, but that was a different time. Once again, you usually went straight into a career or earlier on. So once again, you were expected to be somewhere and somebody was kind of monitoring what you were doing, or you got married at a younger age. So I joke that when We married at younger ages. At least there were two people with half a brain, and together they had a full (laughs) brain. Kind of my way to joke to portray this, that it's just the context is different for being a young adult today. And that is why the need for parenting to continue past 18 is probably the biggest change I've seen in parenting over my career.
0: That's really interesting. We just, emerging adulthood, there's so many more options available to us now. And so that makes sense that there needs to be more support and structure. So in your expertise and from what you've seen, what should parenting look like for emerging adults?
1: It's it's a great question. So let me try to give some parenting tips that could apply for anybody listening. So parents of any age group, and then I will share it specifically for emerging adults. So all of the parenting research shows that there's a balance of three things that are just essential for the well-being of the child. Number one, there needs to be warmth. And I'll just that includes involvement and support and spending time with them and physical affection and all all of those things that we'll just call warmth or love. The second thing that's important is limits. That's what I'll refer to it as limits or structure uh, boundaries. And once again, that's really important that we provide parents out there want to think about rules, but we provide boundaries or limits um, to protect children until they have the skills and ability to make decisions safely and wisely on their own. So we have love. We have limits. And we have latitude, latitude or what we refer to it as in the scientific literature, uh, autonomy granting. We we have to give children the chance to express their autonomy and make choices, because by giving them that opportunity, they get to practice making choices and they'll become better at it. So if we consider this love limits and latitude, they're all important. But the degree of importance changes over time. So what do I mean? Whether you're a parent of a two-year-old, a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, 16-year-old, or a 20-year-old, children need love. They need warmth. They need affection. And it may change how that's given. Again, with a two-year-old, it may be cuddling with them and reading stories to them with an eight-year-old, it may be sitting down and helping with homework. With an older child, it may be attending their recitals or staying up, waiting for them to return from a date so you can hear all about it. That's all love. That's all warmth. And children of every age need it. And even into emerging adulthood, supporting being a sounding board. You may now not be telling your children what to do, but being there for them to ask questions and, bounce thoughts off you. Again, expressing love. Children of all ages need love. Now, limits. Limits, it makes sense if we think about the purpose of limits. It's not to control, it's to protect. So it makes sense that with young children who are just starting to develop social skills and cognitive abilities and emotional skills that we have a lot of limits in place. We have a lot of rules. We have a lot of boundaries. That's important. Again, not to control, not because I said so, because I'm your father, but we're trying to protect the child. But they need to start practicing choosing agency. And so how could that look at an early age? Well, you may have a rule for the sake of the child's well-being that every dinner we have vegetables. Okay, where can there be autonomy in that? Where do they get to choose? Well, let them choose which vegetable. That meets your expectation for health and well-being of vegetables, but they get to practice choosing. You may have a rule. Bedtime is at 8 o'clock, for example. That's the rule. But then let your child choose. What pajamas are they going to wear? What book are you going to read at bedtime? Who's going to tuck you in? So within the safety of those limits, they're getting to choose and practice that. So if you picture this, at every age group, there's going to be love. Early in a child's life, there's the limits are going to be high. But as they start developing the skills, cognitive, social, emotional, spiritual skills to choose well, then limits should start to decline. And where autonomy granting or latitude is low at an early age, it's going to start to go up. So if we think about these three things... By the time children hit emerging adulthood, love should be important, limits are going to be lower than they've ever been, and autonomy granting should be higher than it's ever been. So when we start to take those principles and put them in place, now we start seeing parenting as being supportive, encouraging of using their agency, their freedom to make choices. But still there to lend that steadying hand when needed, advice when sought, resources to help them move forward or flourish, as I call it, rather than flounder. So that balance, love limits and latitude.
0: I like that. That's a really easy way to remember all three of those important elements. So with this type of parenting, using all three of these principles, what are some of the unique challenges that can come up with trying to parent and support emerging adults?
1: So as loving parents, we want to see our kids do well. None of us want to see them floundering. So how do we kind of balance? Let's start with the extremes of parenting that we should avoid. One that we often hear is, you're 18? you're on your own, good luck. And I kind of just have to chuckle, because if we picture starting to tackle adulthood, the principles are really no different than when we helped that toddler learn how to walk. We didn't just look at that 11-month-old and say, you're on your own, you're 11 months now, start, <laughs> good luck with that whole walking thing. We, we gave that steadying hand Right, we we encouraged. When it came time to ride a bike, we didn't say good luck with that whole riding a bike thing. We, we started them with some training wheels. We held onto the back, and then yes, we had to let go of the back of the bike. We provided some encouragement and stability and some lessons. It just turned the car over to them at age fifteen or sixteen, and think that all of a sudden they're just because of a magical age they were going to be able to do it. So likewise, hopefully the adolescent years were helping to start teach the skills and the steadying hand, but there's still going to be some of that as they start on their own the process of being independent and making choices. So, oh, we should never just leave them on their own. You're completely on your own to learn to figure out college and budgets and Insurance and all of those things that are so important that we teach, lend a steadying hand, and then yes, of course, let go of the bikes. Somebody's probably listening. Going, this sounds like helicopter parenting. All right, we're going to have to talk about it. <laughs> so yes, the one extreme is don't don't forget about the the love, the support, the encouragement. But on the flip side, yes, you being controlling, over controlling terrible for this age. Remember, limits need to be going down, not up during this age. So what are some ways that we might be over-controlling of kids? Number one, we we could be very manipulative uh, in controlling their behaviors. I'll only provide some financial assistance if you major in what I decide is best for you. Or if you don't break off that uh, dating relationship because I don't like the person, then I'm not going to keep you on my insurance. I mean, that's very manipulative controlling behavior. We shouldn't do that. That's behavioral control. We should never engage in what's called psychological control. And that's manipulating the child, controlling the child by using the relationship as a weapon. Oh, really? After all I've done for you, that's how you show me you're grateful? Just that manipulative, cold shoulder, uh, guilting, shaming. Those are ways to control. And they have been linked time and time again with floundering in emerging adulthood. And then, yes, there's helicopter parenting. Helicopter parenting, uh, my definition for it that we use in our research is doing for a child what they developmentally can and should be doing on their own. So, if they have the skills and abilities to be making decisions, solving problems, they should be doing that. So, we shouldn't be stepping in as parents and solving their roommate disputes, okay? 18, 19, 20-year-olds need to be figuring that out on their own. That doesn't mean that the 19-year-old can't come to mom and dad and be thinking, "Hey, having a problem with roommates. I'm thinking this is how I'm going to approach it. Is there anything you would have me think about that I'm missing? Do you see that? Who's leading now? Parents aren't solving it. They're not doing it, but they're there for support. And so we shouldn't be hovering, jumping in, and doing for kids what um, they absolutely can and should be." Doing for themselves at that time in their lives. So, avoiding those extremes are some we should be very aware of.
0: Right. Kind of finding that sweet spot. Yeah. That's great. It seems, it sounds to me a lot like this is more of a collaborative approach with emerging adulthood instead of telling them exactly what to do, being that authoritarian type parent, just being that support and someone they can collaborate with and come to. And when, we,
1: when I interview uh, emerging adults about what do you feel you need to do before you'll see yourself as an adult? Because, again, just turning 18, they don't feel like adults. I've asked them over and over in my research. And things like getting married doesn't just make them an adult. Just graduating from college, that doesn't make them adult. I refer to it as pieces of paper that sometimes have been the outward signs of becoming an adult. A college diploma, a birth certificate, becoming a parent, a a marriage certificate or marriage license, a paycheck. These are pieces of paper. Emerging adults say, I will finally feel like an adult when I have developed some characteristics and skills. Things like once I've learned to accept responsibility for the consequences of my actions, once I've learned to be able to care for other people as much as I focus on myself. But they also say, I want to develop a relationship with my parents as equals. So they are uh, redefining and renegotiating, as it were, this collaboration uh, that occurs in the context of a relationship. So you're absolutely right. And they want it. Yeah. So it's important.
0: You've talked about the two extremes of things that the parents should avoid on both sides. So what's kind of the sweet spot? What are some things that parents should be doing to help their children?
1: So the thing that we should have in mind is the goals that we have. We want our children to flourish. We want them to be these these strong, independent successful in their various uh, aspects of life, relationships and school and work, their hobbies. And so we want that. They're making progress towards those things we call flourishing. Yeah. Developing skills needed to succeed, reaching some of these important milestones. We call that Flourishing, whereas floundering is the failing to make progress towards becoming an adult, uh, struggling in and just stagnating, or yes, engaging in things that are outright harmful, illegal, destructive to them or other people. So, this notion of flourishing and floundering, so too often. I hear people arguing about certain practices that are either right or wrong. and It's not about a practice. It's about the child making progress. So let me give an example. I hear all the time about kids living at home. Is that good or bad? It's awful because or it's good because the question to be asked is, are they making progress? You can have one child who's living at home and utilizing that to instead of having to work to pay rent, they can take an extra class to get through school sooner or it gives them the opportunity to do an unpaid internship that will help them get into grad school. So you're providing that stabilizing hand you know, the the adult equivalent of the hand on the back of the bike until it's stable enough to let them go. You giving that support is helping them flourish. It's assisting them to make progress. That's great then. But the very same thing, a child living at home, and all they're doing is living at home, playing video games, eating your food they're not taking any college classes they don't have a job now you are facilitating floundering so i hope that's clear that it's it's not that a certain practice uh, of by a parent that's in itself right or wrong is are you facilitating their progress or are you facilitating floundering And so, thinking about in those terms, what can I do to support, encourage, facilitate? There's research that my colleagues and I have done, as well as other research in this area, that two approaches to supporting children financially, for example, can be problematic. So, in our work, we looked at how much parents paid for things such as Housing, tuition, books, groceries, and play. Their, their recreation. And we had some parents who paid for everything. And their kids were doing the most partying. They, they just they had they were the least engaged in school. They were just partying because they had no skin in the game, if that makes sense. They, They were not invested in their own schooling or whatever they were doing. So that was problematic. However, there's another group that struggles, and that is those who get no financial support. And again, please let me stop here. Some people are saying, well, I don't have the finances to give. Please listen to just the principle that I'm trying to convey is if you can provide support, whether that's emotionally, via some resource, You know, the old family car that you can send with the college, whatever finances It's the principal. So there were some parents who weren't providing any financial support and their kids were struggling in their own way. They were also engaged in school less because they had to work so many hours and they were being forced into some adult roles of a lot of hours at a job. But our work and others, when you take it together, it shows that those who are working more than 20 hours a week while going to school, they had the highest dropout rate. So this short time need just to keep food on the table was actually hurting them in the long run to be able to get jobs that would support them throughout their lives. If they did graduate, there's work that shows that they had lower starting salaries than their peers. And as you think this through, this makes sense too, because if they were having to work so many hours just to survive, okay, they got their college diploma, but they didn't get a college education. They weren't able to do internships, work one on one with faculty, become involved with campus clubs and leadership opportunities. So when employers compared these two resumes, they're both college graduates. But one got a college education and has this resume of things as they finish college. And so it makes sense why they may drop out. And even if they finish, they're going to have lower starting salaries. And so we think that by just sending them out there on their own, we may be helping. But in the long term, we may be setting them up for more floundering. And so once again, I use that area of research related to financial support. But it applies to emotional support, that that listening ear, that sounding board, resources, just any opportunities to help provide them with that support to help them in their flourishing. And as long as they are receiving it and using it to make progress, it's not a problem. That's not helicopter parenting. That's not controlling. That's not doing for them what they can be doing on their own. That's providing the support so they can utilize that to boom, springboard to success. But if they're not, if they're just not making progress, there are no jobs, failing grades at, at school, well, now you got to make a change because you don't want to facilitate that. But in, support is certainly helpful. For our long-term goals of helping our children become these successful, self-reliant individuals in relationships, careers, and in all aspects of their lives.
0: Thank you so much. That was great to hear. And I think it's probably comforting for a lot of parents to understand that this flourishing will look different for every child. And it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And to just take those principles and apply them to each child. So thank you. You bet. All right, we will go ahead and wrap up here. But just to end, Dr. Nelson, is there anything else that you would like to address and talk about?
1: Yeah. So I have one closing thought for parenting emerging adults, and then just one, uh, maybe one set of tips for parents of all ages. So, specifically for parents of emerging adults, I would say don't feel that the way you did it is the way that your kids need to do it. So I often hear from parents saying, well, when I was A young adult or when I was in college or when I was starting out, this is what I did. And it worked for me. Your children are not you. And this is an entirely different context that they're developing in. So do what that child needs. Indeed, that is the the take home message that I would have for all parents. Remember, love limits and latitude. That appropriate balance for each of your kids. Don't fall into the same trap as, as well, not only saying, well, I did it this way, and therefore you're going to, but also don't fall into the trap of, well, your older sister did it this way and it worked for her, so that's how you should do it. That is not parenting the one. You want to remember each child is an individual. What are their strengths? What are we, their Uh, challenges? What are the unique situations in which that child finds themselves in? And if we recognize that, we can tailor uh, the love limits and latitude to that child. How do they feel love? What areas do they need a little more support in that maybe a a sibling didn't? What maybe a little more structure than uh, another sibling did? If we just Take this this balance. Remember, love limits latitude, appropriate for each individual child. I think we can do a good job, Mom and Dad.
0: Thank you, Doctor Nelson, so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise and advice with us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Uh, it was great being here. Just uh, remind parents: this is hard. This is hard for all of us. So you're doing great. Keep it up and. Thanks for giving me the chance to share some of those ideas and thoughts.
0: A big thanks to our listeners for joining us today. We've learned a lot of valuable principles for smart parenting, and I hope that we can take these home and put them into practice. If you have any questions or inquiries, please email us at byusflpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your listening platform to catch future episodes. Until next time.